As a song goes, everything old is new again. Which is why we're zooming in on New Balance, the sneaker company founded in 1906 that's currently very current for supply chain professionals and consumers alike. Their MADE program is leading a nearshoring wave, and they've seen a surge of popularity in the wake of COVID. Nearshoring is the practice of bringing outsourced manufacturing back to the region where it was initially made. Typically, this means moving closer to consumers, too. New Balance has committed to keep a portion of their product line manufactured domestically. Here's a clip from Sneakerhead podcast, The Kickback, talking about New Balance's unique position in American culture. I mean, I definitely know a lot of people who the main footwear they choose is New Balances you can buy at Costco. Yeah, <laughs> but then it crosses that cultural line too because then it also goes to New Balance the New Balance 990, it became kind of like a dope boy hustler classic. They were comfortable to wear all day when you're out doing your thing, but they were also expensive. So mm. they were like aspirational Very footwear. Sure. The shoe has always had a cult status. In fact, when I visited my parents over the holidays, I kicked off my New Balance sneakers at the door only to see that my mom and dad both had the same fresh foam 1080s, thankfully in different colors. By the way, am I the only one who just realized there are so many podcasts about sneakers? But we're here making a podcast about supply chains, so I guess there's a podcast for everyone. This is Radical Reinvention, a show by Zero One Hundred about reimagining the world's supply chains. I'm Mike Silverman, one-time would-be anthropologist, recovering management consultant, and currently research director here at Zero 100. If you've been listening to our show, you know that Zero 100's mission to create 0% carbon, 100% digitized supply chains is at the heart of what we do. We believe this means living in a world where people's needs are met, but the planet is preserved. To do that, we're working together with the world's most innovative supply chain pioneers and industry experts to tackle some of the biggest challenges facing the planet today. And we're inviting all of you along for the ride. Join us as we work to create a more sustainable and responsible supply chain, one radical reinvention at a time. For today's episode, we did something a little different. I hopped on a train from New York City to Boston, home of New Balance HQ, so I could speak to supply chain leaders at the company and see their local manufacturing firsthand. We think a lot of folks in the Zero 100 community can learn from what they're doing here. We'll be joined by three people at the helm of their operations, Dave Wheeler, Gabriella Wertman, and Kevin McCoy. Dave is the company's chief operating officer, He's going to help us understand New Balance from a wide lens perspective and give us a peek at the company's future. Gabriella is the Vice President for Global Planning and Operations. She's going to share insights on what kind of digital innovations have been critical to New Balance's supply chain in recent years. And Kevin is the Vice President for MADE, New Balance's domestic manufacturing program. With nearshoring such a central topic in conversations around responsible supply chains, being able to zoom in on this program gives us a chance to see how a longtime industry leader is experimenting with opportunities to create shorter, more regional supply chains. 
Could maids set the standard for zero 100 supply chains? Let's find out. We took a very strategic look at the front end. How does the consumer interface with us? What's that consumer experience? What story do they hear when they try to engage with New Balance? That whole direct-to-consumer was our biggest and first investment about four years ago. In parallel, we tackled within the supply chain some of those 3D assets so that we could potentially produce for one individual two different shoes that are custom-made. So we're well on our way here within the digital transformation, but not trying to tackle it all at once. That's the ability that I think is very unique with New Balance. We're playing this as the long game. That was Dave Wheeler, New Balance's COO, sharing some insights on the company's approach to digitization. And while they prioritize these initiatives on the demand side, the team still needed to upgrade the supply chain back of house. That brings Gabriella Wortman, a VP of Global Planning and Ops, into the story. Her job is to make sure that orders are processed as efficiently as possible. I was essentially hired to implement a web-based and real-time order management and order collaboration system. And that system drastically reduced purchase order processing lead times, literally from weeks to minutes. We embarked on a digital transformation journey to implement not only a new ERP system, but also a new supply chain planning tool. For New Balance, I think the right technology is the technology that's flexible enough to support our way of doing business while also driving change. New Balance has a reputation for being really flexible when it comes to our customers. When it comes to the supply chain, we have a multi-sourcing strategy. So whatever tool we implement has to be able to accommodate that. The approach, Gabrielle admits, is bold and unusual. I think there are two things that makes New Balance's approach unique. First, we chose vendors, for example, Microsoft and O9. Most companies will go larger, proven, more experienced partners, but we wanted to be more flexible in terms of technology and process. So by selecting smaller and more technologically vanguard partners, We thought we could be more at the forefront of digital transformation. The second unique factor is the scale and the speed at which we are taking this on. It's a very complex transition, utilizing a lot of internal resources. But in addition to that, we're also looking at rolling out a new merchandise financial planning tool. We are also in the middle of implementing a product lifecycle management tool. So just the complexity of rolling out multiple big systems at the same time, I think makes our approach pretty unique. And as for that ultimate test that every supply chain had to face three years ago? After the events of the past three years, we have had two really important learnings. One is how to operate in a supply-constrained environment, something we didn't have the experience with prior to COVID and then how to rethink demand planning. Starting pretty much the fall of 2020, we found ourselves in a severely supply-constrained planning environment where we had to base our plans on capacity availability and material availability coupled with extremely long logistics lead times. So we realized that we need to 
to allocation to distribute that finite and very limited supply in an equitable manner to our customers. There's also the big green elephant in the room, climate change, and the imperative to decarbonize supply chains while simultaneously making them more efficient. I see the biggest opportunity to digitize, to decarbonize in this production to logistics chain in the accuracy of our plans. The more accurate the plan is, the less we have to adjust it. Later, the more efficient we are and the less waste we are creating, not just for ourselves, but for our manufacturing partners as well. We want to make sure that our manufacturing partners can plan their workload in the most efficient manner to reduce waste. Waste in time because of changeovers, waste in materials, waste in the number of hours needed to be worked to catch up to something that's unplanned or waste that's created by buying smaller batches of materials. So when our suppliers have more accurate visibility into future expectations, they can obviously plan their work better. And Dave says digitization is at the heart of making it all happen at scale. Number one is how do you plan better? How do you have better demand forecasts that more accurately reflect what you'll sell so you have fewer discounts, fewer obsolete materials that have to be scrapped. Sometimes those scraps end up in landfills and utilizing carbon to get to the landfill, which makes no sense. So in our mind, an investment in demand planning can have such a high leverage impact on transportation across the board because you're moving exactly what you need. That's the ideal scenario, right? That's our vision, that we have a digital brain that's taking in inputs from social media and we're more accurately adjusting the forecast so that we are buying the right amount of raw materials all the way through the supply chain. Less air freight, let's eliminate air freight. Clearly, that has the biggest carbon footprint, but that takes a lot of planning. So our investment in a new ERP system, a new supply chain planning system, which is underway and we go live here this year, which we're excited about, will give us new digital brain capabilities where we can do scenario planning as well as have that input of many, many different factors into the forecast, not just historical best fit approach. New Balance's digital investment is not only making their supply chain more sustainable, But Dave says it's also enabling him to move forward on a number of critical initiatives. Certainly making locally isn't always the best cost option, just given the labor costs from country to country. And sure, we could go with the lowest cost, but our approach is let's make it locally and let's invest in robotics and other digital enablers that help us drive costs down produce really consistent, high-quality product and help us grow the business that way. Developing digital 3D images so our sales force can use those as effectively as they could with a physical sample. And so we've taken that kind of a carbon footprint out of the picture by creating these digital images and not producing tens of thousands of physical samples for our sales force. 
just having a digital scan of a foot all the way through bill of materials down to the shop floor and then all the tentacles out into the ERP system that place orders for materials that support those sales. Everything connected is really the direction that we're headed so that we can be more accurate, more timely, and a great experience for the consumer in a digital environment. Pretty exciting times right now. We don't have it mastered, um, but we have invested a lot and uh, we're getting really close on the fine tuning elements there. It helps us stay connected to the product. All of this, the long history of innovation, the unprecedented demands presented by COVID, the increasing urgency of decarbonization, put New Balance in the perfect position to lead in the growing movement for nearshoring. We knew how to make footwear, and within a week we began to make PPE. In case you've forgotten, PPE is short for personal protective equipment. Remember how intense that shortage was? Hospitals all over the country were struggling to maintain supplies. Thankfully, companies like New Balance were able to adjust their operations so they could quickly do their part to help out during a crisis. I think that's a good illustration of what happens in that kind of environment when you're working with speed and agility. And it actually gave us confidence to move forward on other programs even after we finished up the PPE production. It was something that really kind of turned the consumer on to us because we told a compelling message. We made PPE, which got everyone super jazzed and stoked about us, about what we were able to do. What that PPE did is it was the innovation linchpin to prove to this company that we can do something impossible. So that launched us into innovation. That launched us into risk-taking. We are in the Lawrence Mill building. This area used to be very heavy in textile mills and textile production. That was Kevin McCoy. He's the VP of the MADE program. MADE is a network of factories owned and operated by New Balance. The factory I visited last month was outside Boston, and there are four others peppered throughout New England. While Dave and Gabriella's work focuses on the company's big picture from a global perspective, Kevin's job is focused on New Balance's domestic manufacturing efforts through MADE. Please note the fine print. MADE U.S. footwear contains a domestic value of 70% or more, and MADE currently makes up a limited portion of New Balance's U.S. sales. There's also a MADE program in the U.K. doing the same thing across the pond. In the past 10 years specifically, the MADE program has been really let's say the brand heat. We have certain models that are selling in the millions of pairs that are made within our own manufacturing plants. We view it as the lifeblood of the company. Just as critical to made success, it's culture. For Kevin, it means creating an environment that makes people feel safe, welcome, and important. There's nothing that feels better than having people stoked about where they work and having a group of people outside think that that's a great place to be. Kevin led our group into the made manufacturing space after confirming we are all wearing our safety goggles and earplugs. We got to see the assembly line and how the sneakers came to life. I saw stacks of fabric being cut into patterns, assembled in layers, following the patterns for sneaker styles being constructed. The two-dimensional shoe upper folds to become the 3D shoe, joining the sole in a heat press to birth the final product. Nothing was overly robotic or manual. 
The manufacturing team were all operating some machinery for their step in the process, with clean handoffs to keep the system moving at an energetic pace. After passing quality check, the sneakers were put into shoeboxes. On a sign above the final station, red LED lights tracked the number of sneakers made that day. You've got people who, because they believe in you and they believe in what you're doing, they're going to go on the ride with you. And they're going to try something a little bit different. And a piece of equipment that looks a little different than they were using yesterday that we're going to try to introduce today, where five years ago they're like, I'm not touching that. There's not one person that's more important than the other. What's up, boss? How you doing? How are you? The problem solvers on every team, the 18 to 31 people that are making that product every day, they're the ones that are figuring out how to make it better, how to make it safer, and what they're going to give to our consumer. Hey, buddy, how you doing? Okay, all right, I'll see you tomorrow then. All right, yep. What are you doing? Working. <laughs> so that's Billy. He's one of our engineers. Hey, guys. Oh. How you doing? What's up, boss? How you doing? You doing okay? Yes. Yeah. Nice to see you. Hey, Jimmy. Come on through. If you waited for me, get done talking, it never ends. <laughs> We're a company who treats our associates well. We pay them a fair wage, and we treat them with respect and empathy. It's amazing when you talk to folks about what keeps you here, because every once in a while I'll walk through, and it's like, you care about us. Kevin believes MADE is not only critical to the future of New Balance's operations, but that it's also vital to maintaining its legacy in the new age of innovation. So Made in USA is a critical component to New Balance in what we do in our core. It is that symbol of really everything that we want the brand to be. So the push to localize or to onshore, I'd love to say I thought about it before COVID, but COVID really smacked us in the face and it forced us to do something. So we took that same approach making a mask, right? I took the same group of people, I took the piece of plastic, put it on the table, said, what needs to be true for us to make this? And we came up with different ways, and it took us about four or five days to figure out how to do that. We had the equipment in-house, we had the capability to make the tools, we had the capability to color those parts, and we had the capability to be able to stack and store those. So within about nine days, we were able to produce these components that historically would be sitting on the water for nine months. In calendar 22, we produced just under two million parts of locally onshore source components. And in 2023, we'll be producing parts to satisfy our entire Made in USA demand. Remarkable achievement by the engineering team. Also, he says nearshoring creates new opportunities for problem solving. And believe it or not, it can also be more cost-effective too. The modularity component, it takes the size of the problem and chunks it down. It allows you to look at specific areas, whether it's you're still on paper and you're looking at a design or you're in a, a finished component in a finished shoe and you're looking at what do I need to do to be able to attack that? You can go to the specific area where that work is being done and then problem solve and brainstorm how you're able to simplify that. It's a little unconventional to have modularity built in this way. However, I look at modularity as a plus. The biggest opportunity for improvement that we have in the industry we're in is the update. So the update gives you the opportunity to satisfy an unmet consumer need. Where did you miss? It gives you the chance to innovate. And it also gets you to fix and repair some sins that you committed on the prior model. Our designer, who's a relatively new designer, and it's the first shoe he's ever done for Made in USA, he sat down with the manufacturing group. And he was a destination point. The fallacy is that Asia has unlimited capability. They don't. They have incrementally more capability than we have. However, what Asia does is 
they mask their expanded capability by outsourcing and then charging you for it. You pay for everything that you get. There is no deal on anything you're buying from Asia from a component standpoint. Another great thing about being so committed to nearshoring is what it means for cross-collaboration opportunities. When I did my job in Asia, I would drag a designer with me, right? Now, they thought they were just going to go hang out and <laughs> sing karaoke and all this other <laughs> shit, right? But we're going to the line, and we're going to say, this is how it needs to happen. This is the material. This is how it has to nest, how it has to be shaped. So the designers that work for me on the running team are used to that. This was a relatively new kid who just had a Jones for making stuff, right? So he wanted to come down there, and I didn't have to beg him to come down. The minute he came down, and he started to see some success, and if you're a designer and you find a maker that wants to satisfy some of your whims, you're going to want to hang out down here a little bit more. So we put this little logo on the side, but he changed the design of this so that in the area it's applied, we have zero failures on this. So a design of our process, I mean, it's the way it needs to work. And that's another beauty of being able to make stuff here. You bring your design team here. I bring my planning team down here. I bring my sourcing team and quality team. If there's a problem with leather, they're not talking to me. They're gonna to talk to the quality and sourcing people who made the decision to go to that supplier. Even though it's a super small part of our business, is to make stuff here. We value the American consumer. We value the American community. We value the romance of what it is that we do. It's important, right? And we're seeing a lot of our collaboration partners. We've got Carhartt, we've got Bodega, we've got all these big design houses, they don't work with us because we make stuff here. Have you ever heard of someone talk about the romance of manufacturing footwear? You gotta love how Kevin's passion for sourcing and manufacturing is so contagious. So what's next for MADE? And what are the biggest challenges they're facing right now? We're working on a program where by the end of 2023, about 50 to 75% of the textiles that we'll be putting in our product will be made in USA, made with environmentally preferred materials. So a lot of recycled polyester, a lot of recycled materials plugged into that. And it's gonna be more expensive. I got that. However, I've got a very talented group of engineers who are gonna be able to find that 75 cents a square yard and pull it out of the cost of the shoe. Again, if this needs to be true, what needs to happen in order to make that come to reality. Traceability is becoming critically important, mm. right? So we never used the word traceability until midpoint last year. So now it's traceability, traceability, traceability. Yes. But even our domestic suppliers, they're not mature enough to know what that means. For some of the tanners I'm dealing with, I say, can you show me what your productivity number was? And they're like, what? So how many are you supposed to make and how much did you make, right? <laughs> but it's getting to that point. So it's the maturation of the domestic supply chain is really what's going to either help or hinder, right? If we have to hire more to, to expend resources to help our suppliers, I'll do it. However, at some point, there needs to be a point of return, right, for the supplier. Before I left New Balance headquarters, I wanted to know, is made a blueprint for the company's future? And what does that future look like when it comes to sustainability? Here's COO Dave Wheeler one more time on what the future of their operations looks like. What's next for New Balance? Clearly, we have a big investment underway within our MADE network, and that's all of our interconnected, company-owned manufacturing plants. We see that local production, whether it's in the US, the UK, and other sites that we're considering, as really important to fulfill the need of decarbonization 
So we're, I think, pretty aggressive in the area of identifying and then nurturing the capability of materials that help steer us away from petrochemicals as much as possible, protecting the Earth's limited natural resources is absolutely an essential element of what we call responsible leadership. Within that is, how do we reduce our carbon footprint? We have cascaded goals throughout the organization that focus on coming up with innovative ideas, whether that is production methods that improve, it's how our buildings operate, it's the materials that we put into our product. Recycling for us really begins at the inception of the product. So how is the product designed? Can it be designed for recycling? There are many products, many designs of footwear that you just can't deconstruct and repair to be able to put it back out into the economy. We do have some designs that are capable of being brought in, take the sole off, for example, replace the midsole, replace the outsole, and then ship that back to the consumer. And there are many consumers that love that because it's kind of like an old glove. You just get that feeling. You love the upper. You hate to lose that because you've broken it in. Wouldn't it be great to have a brand new sole that has that fresh foam in it? So we're working on that. How could we scale that up? And we view that as one of the most interesting ways that we can make an impact. All right, friends, there you have it. That's it for Radical Reinvention, Episode 8. Thank you to New Balance's Dave Wheeler, Gabriella Wortman, and Kevin McCoy for sharing part of their story about an old company doing new things. Zero 100 community members can check out their full interviews online at zero100.com. I promise not to sing in future episodes, so I hope you'll keep listening. See you next time. This episode of Radical Reinvention was produced by Mike Silverman, Kevin O'Mara, EJ Flynn, Brian Egan, Duda Rodriguez, Nick Heineman, Diane Hope, and me, Victoria Marin. Ko Takasugi Chernovin is our editor and sound engineer and also composed our theme music. To find out more about Zero 100 and to check out our content library, go to zero100.com. If you're interested in joining our community of contributors, send us a note at hello at zero100.com. 